Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, ranging from nutrition to physical and mental health. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, or Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that, although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries, disease, or medical conditions, and it is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. In general, I am sceptical of dietary fads, especially those spruiked by celebrities with no nutritional qualifications, like, for example, the baby food uh, diet, rumoured to have been started by celebrity trainer Tracy Anderson. The paleo and keto diets are in vogue at the moment and popular with numerous celebrities. Therefore, it may be tempting to put them into the fad category, But before we leap to conclusions, let's listen to a scientifically trained expert. I'm honoured to have Rochelle Martin as today's guest on Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Rochelle has achieved much in her life, but notably for today's discussion. She's qualified as a nurse, holds a master's degree in human nutrition, and has a nutrition practice within a gastroenterologist rooms. Put simply, a gastroenterologist deals with the digestive system and its disorders. Given that my own diet is primarily plant-based, I admit to not knowing much about the ins and outs of the paleo or the keto diets, so I'm very interested to put aside how they are sometimes portrayed in the popular media as a license to gorge on bacon and butter and learn from (laughs) an expert. Hi Rochelle, welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Hi Amanda, thanks for asking me, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So, Rochelle, you worked as a registered nurse in intensive care, and now you work as a nutritionist. Can you tell our listeners what drew you to studying nutrition? Yeah, sure. Um, I've always had a fascination with, I think, two things, food and science. Um, And I got to a point where I decided I didn't really want to return to nursing or working in intensive care. Um, and I was at a crossroads where I was able to choose whether I wanted to go down the path of being a chef or if I wanted to go and combine my love of science with food. And so I gravitated towards a Master of Nutrition. Oh, yeah. excellent. And so you're clearly a pretty good cook as well. <laughs> Hopefully. I think I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen some of your creations on Facebook, actually. Very yummy. Thank you. Um, so your practice is based in a gastroenterologist's rooms. I imagine there's um, a good synergy between the medical issues that bring patients to see a gastroenterologist and dietary intake. I assume that many of your clients come to you to lose weight, is that correct? That's true. Um, I would say that, I mean, there's now a huge number of disorders that I see with regards to what I do with ketogenic diets. Mm -hmm. Um, Where in the past, before I started doing this, it was mainly limited to people with irritable bowel syndrome, celiac disease, um, and people who wanted to lose weight. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting about that was about maybe two and a half years ago, I actually almost wound up my nutrition practice. 
And this is interesting mm. because a lot of people who have IBS or mm-hmm. irritable bowel syndrome had already learned about the FODMAP diet or having mm-hmm. low FODMAP. And everybody knows that there's now an app that's being produced. Um, and by and large, what I was finding, finding was that my client base was dwindling away and there wasn't much more for me to do if I had kept it in that realm. However, my main focus and I guess my love and passion has always been to help people with weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, well, I think up until that point, um, I didn't think that the Australian Dietary Guidelines really addressed the obesity epidemic. Mm. Um, and I, from a personal perspective, um, had become perimenopausal. And I was getting more and more clients, particularly women in Mm. my age group, who were coming to me and saying, look, I've got this central adiposity, I've got this central belly fat sitting here, and it will not shift. And I'm eating less and less, which effectively what you and I know to be a calories in, calories out diet approach. Um, And uh, they said they were, you know, killing themselves in the gym and they just didn't know what they could do. And, you know, why was this happening? Because they hadn't really changed what they were eating and they were eating what we would call pretty healthy. Yeah. So when that happened, I took a bit of a sabbatical and I, I mean, you, you know me well, we good researchers, you and I, (laughs) just for the people out there, Amanda and I were sort of rivals at, (laughs) at uh, Deakin University and we pulled our high distinctions, but we constantly asked each other, what did you get? What did you get? (laughs) So anyway, I went and did, I did my research and, um, I uncovered some really fascinating, uh, randomized control trials and some, which for lack of a better word is some very high powered research. Um, and it debunked and demystified a lot of uh, things. And then from there, I, I knew that I needed further training um, in what I was doing. And I reached out to a very eminent Australian dietitian um, and asked her, in fact, I begged her if she would teach me about low-carbohydrate diets, mm-hmm. which she did. Great. Um and I can remember after the first two and a half hours of getting off the phone from her because we shared similar traits. Um, she's considerably younger than me, but we both had polycystic ovarian syndrome. We both had fertility issues. We um, both struggled with our weight. Um, I had actually had gestational diabetes during my pregnancies. Right. Um, weight had always been an issue for me. Um, we both loved uh, sport and so at the end of that, I got off the phone after she finished telling me that everything I'd learnt um, about the standard Australian diet was a load of rubbish, and I remember just bawling my eyes wow. out. Yeah, I was horrified. <laughs> so, um, oh, there's so many things to talk about here. I almost so don't much. To start. I know, I know, there's so much. I'm going to start with some basic questions. So can you tell us, because mm-hmm. um, Rochelle specialises in the keto diet and the paleo diet, can you tell us what they are what you know what one should eat when they're following those diets sure so those two diets um i tend to prescribe more of a ketogenic or a low carbohydrate Mm -hmm. diet to most of my clients um a paleo diet is a diet i mean everybody's going to say oh pete evans (laughs) Yeah, yeah but but pete evans has probably just brought it to light um so a paleo diet is generally speaking a diet that um, they use, I mean, they have their meats and they have um, eggs and they have um, they have a lack of um, 
uh, processed sugar, but they will have fruits and they will have uh, non-starchy vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll also include some starchy vegetables like sweet potato, pumpkin, carrots, beets, turnips, parsnips and squash. Both have nuts and seeds, um, but um, they tend to steer clear of grains and legumes and sugars basically right um so the difference really between the two when you look at a ketogenic diet is a ketogenic diet is lower in carbohydrate Mm -hmm. again yeah um and we would say yes to dairy particularly butter um double thick cream full fat you know um, yogurts and things like that whereas a paleo diet would not um The other thing to know about a paleo diet is that there is a relative lack of good evidence as to the benefits of a paleo diet, even though though it is termed as something that is good for inflammation. So most of the time when you have people who are approaching and talk about a paleo diet, it's because they've got some form of inflammation, whether it's sinusitis or Mm. rhinusitis, or they might come to you and start talking about um, inflammatory bowel disease. And they will talk about things like dairy causing them, you know, to get mucus in the back of their throat right. or things. Now, a ketogenic diet, there is now quite a substantial amount of very good evidence um, that has the potential, if people go into what's called nutritional ketosis, to bring about an anti inflammatory effect, which is very powerful in the body. But to do that, you need a lot less carbohydrate. So, so a ketogenic right. diet, the only fruit that they would have would be berries and they would have um, only vegetables that are above ground, no grains, no legumes, but of course they would have 80% of that ketogenic diet is fats, high healthy fats. So where do those fats come from? What type of yeah. fats? Sure. So in a ketogenic diet, the fats come from um, uh, avocado oil, coconut oil, Mm -hmm. um, extra virgin olive oil, olive oils, um, butter, um, double thick cream, uh, coconut milk, coconut cream, Mm -hmm. um, and of course the saturated fats in meats. Meats. Yeah. And dairy. Yeah. So can you just give me an example of a day of eating a ketogenic diet just so people can understand what it actually looks like sure yeah um okay well i mean the funny thing about that is people will when i when i talk to them about a diet they're often quite fearful they think oh god what am i going to be eating yeah yeah. (laughs) um in ketogenic diets, typically what we will do is we will combine it with something called intermittent fasting. Oh, right. Yes. Um, which, you know, fasting, obviously, there's a, a period of time where people don't eat. Um, but by and large, the whole purpose of the ketogenic diet is to get somebody into something called nutritional ketosis. Now, an example of meals. So typically speaking, we would start the day with grass-fed bone broth or some sort of a mm-hmm. bone broth, whether it be chicken or beef bone broth and in that we would put at least a level table a teaspoon of salt Um, and I can talk about why we Mm -hmm. need to do that and then the next meal might be something like you know a couple of eggs and um, bacon and pork sausage um, maybe half an avocado sounding Um, like my first nightmare (laughs) no this is this how we roll Um, you know baby spinach tomato have an avocado yeah yeah, uh, whereas a paleo would be something similar to that, but they would not 
have, like they might not have the cream in their omelette or something like that. Um, They might include, um, you know, maybe some pumpkin with that. Um, An alternative to that, if someone didn't want to cook breakfast, we certainly would both have... um, option of a granola right um a yeah pa- yeah i've seen paleo granolas paleo granolas in, yeah in the so they might have you know banana with their paleo granola and some um you know unsweetened almond milk or something like that whereas a ketogenic diet we would have um a granola that was predominantly nut and seed based mm-hmm. much lower in carbohydrate um, but we might have that with double thick cream or yogurt perhaps yeah or a high protein yogurt um, and we would have that with some berries right not a banana not I a banana exactly no bananas nope. no bananas <laughs> too high in carbohydrate <laughs> yes so now the reason why we would be a lot more um, careful with the fruit um, is because we don't want to take ourselves out of this state of nutritional ketosis Right. So if you eat something that doesn't um, conform, I guess, for want of a better word, with the diet, does that, um, it um, impacts it, does it? It, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll explain, I'll explain nutritional ketosis. So because predominantly that's why people are coming to this diet. Mm-hmm. So if we think of a ketone as being a byproduct of how we break down our fat, mm-hmm. okay, <clears throat> and that ketone which becomes something called beta-hydroxybutyrate. It's a short-term fatty acid. Um, BHB, should we just call it that? Yeah, BHB BHB. is is a very, very powerful anti-inflammatory. Now, if we eat high-carbohydrate foods, then that knocks us out of that nutritional ketosis. Okay, And that's what we're trying to avoid. And there is a certain level that we aim to achieve. So it's very strict. It sounds very strict, Um, does it? I think early days, trying to get somebody's head around it because it is so vastly different from how they have eaten in the last 50 years. Mm. Um, But once you're in it, it's actually pretty simple. And I think it's pretty liberating. I mean, you know, not being able to have, you know, saturated fats and not being able to have this, not being able to have that. I mean, for anything that, that, you know, that that people would have in their normal diet, we have got a keto version of it. Right. So we certainly eat cakes and we have breads and we we do but we just have a ketogenic version of it that's been made with almond meal right so all the things that everybody else would have we have that too it's just that we would have lashings of butter on our bread (laughs) so well that was one of my questions um, because Rochelle um, has been following a keto diet for two years now and she says she feels great but I was going to ask you are there any foods that you miss or not really anymore or um Look, I think initially when I first began it, one of the things that I missed, probably the most common answer that people will give is bread. Yeah. But then I asked myself, well, was it was it the bread that I missed or was it butter? I mean, I'm, unfortunately, I was one of those people that actually used to have margarine until I realized how <laughs> shocking that is for you. Um, but in saying that, no. I mean, no. I'm so satisfied with the with the level of saturated fat in my diet. Mm. Um and I, you know, I have chocolate like everybody else. I just have, I just have 90% yeah. dark chocolate. Um, so not really. Right. There's not really anything that I miss. No. Because I think for me that would be probably the one thing. I, yeah, you know, bread. Nice, yeah, yeah, fresh, crusty, sourdough bread. Yeah. Just love it. And I love the smell of it too. Yeah. But anyway, I guess if you're used to it now and you're feeling really great, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. it. I, I mean, I think, um, and that's funny because about three years ago, I actually went away to Victoria and I actually learned how to make sourdough bread properly um, from a very historic bakery. Um, and I laugh now <laughs> <laughs> because that's just not a part of my diet. So, no, yeah. But you've got all those skills. Yeah. I wonder if you can make a paleo version of sourdough. I don't know. Yeah, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. And there's definitely people out there who do ketogenic um, breads and and that's a whole thing. That's a a whole nother chat. (laughs) Okay. So back to your clinical practice. So what are some of the benefits you've seen or witnessed with your um, clients who have come to you and followed the diet? What's happened? Okay. So first and foremost would be weight loss. Um, And it's not if they lose weight, it's they 100% lose Mm -hmm. weight, definitely. Um, That's been quite amazing. And I think the amount of weight loss, like it's pretty easy for them to lose a kilo a week. Yeah. Um, In saying that, the difference between when I do it on a ketogenic diet as opposed to a calories in, calories out approach where people basically starve themselves Mm. um, is those people are dropping their basal metabolic rate and often they suffer with feeling cold and hungry and all the rest of it, whereas my patients wouldn't. Um, And also when you're in nutritional ketosis, you maintain lean muscle mass. So you don't lose it, which is also really, really important. So weight loss is one. Um, Another one would be the inflammatory conditions that I see. So type 2 diabetes, we Mm -hmm. are reversing type 2 diabetes, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So recently we've taken a patient who was on 220 units of insulin and weighed 145 kilos. Yeah, Mm. Um, She's now off all that insulin Mm -hmm. and she's just come under 100 kilos. And that's happened in about the last four months. Oh, that's Um, pretty quick. Pretty quick. Yeah. Yep. And um and and at that point, you know, we're also getting medication reviews because their blood pressure has is dropping, their yeah. they don't need their high cholesterol medication anymore and that sort of stuff. Um we've also I also work with women who are trying to get pregnant, so they might have polycystic ovaries yep. or endometriosis. And I'm very proud to say that two out of my three patients are now pregnant. Congratulations. <laughs> and That's to them great. as well. So yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, also Alzheimer's disease. So I have got a couple of clients that Mm -hmm. I'm working with who've got Alzheimer's disease and that has been truly remarkable. So what kind of things have happened? Because I, I don't believe you can actually reverse it. Can you, can you slow it? I think you can slow it down. I think that space requires a lot more research. Um, yeah. Um, also in inflammatory bowel disease is another one as well. Um, so that's been quite good, but, um, yeah, the Alzheimer's has been incredible. Um, so I did have a patient who came in to me. His um, partner was a doctor um, and basically they had heard on the grapevine about, you know, this sort of a diet. Um, and he came in mute and unable to follow command. And we put him on a ketogenic diet and some median triglyceride oil, which mm-hmm. is also very important for raising ketones in the bloodstream for the brain. Um, and when he came back in next to see me, he was actually in an argument with his wife. Wow, that uh, is an amazing it was, result. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and we've definitely slowed it down, definitely. Um, because and clearly made some improvements. Absolutely. Mm. Yep, yep. So, yeah, and there's another patient that's following something similar. So that's, yeah. that's really rewarding. That's okay. a fantastic part of my job. So I guess without getting overly technical, do you think that those improvements you've seen have been a result of the weight loss or of the actual dietary intake or both okay 
So definitely there's always going to be some benefit when somebody loses weight, particularly mm. towards an inflammatory response. But um, for the Alzheimer's patients and for the inflammatory bowel disease patients, um, these are people that don't need to lose right. weight. These are people that are either normal weight or underweight. Mm -hmm. What they need is they need to exist in a state of nutritional ketosis, which brings about this very powerful beta-hydroxybutyrate, this ketone, that is an anti-inflammatory um, and when they've got that going on as a result of a ketogenic diet, then it stabilizes them and they're actually able to lead a pretty normal life. Okay. Um, what about someone, um, I'll use myself as an example, who is um, healthy and um, I don't really have any major um, issues that need to be addressed and I... Um, I don't need to lose weight. Would you say to someone like me that I should change my diet or should I just keep doing what I'm doing? What, what, what's yeah. your <clears throat> view on that? Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. So, so that's pretty much my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the other reason that people come to a ketogenic diet um, is, and this is what we haven't talked about yet, is because they've got something called insulin resistance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So insulin resistance um, is pre-diabetic pathology um, and what we can have in the, in the population is we can have people who are probably like yourself who are insulin sensitive and then people like myself who are insulin resistant mm -hmm. okay um, now by and large they seem to think that that's more of a genetic kind of a thing right so would I recommend a ketogenic diet for somebody who is insulin sensitive yes I would because there are other properties that come about that everybody could benefit from, from having anti-inflammatory. And when we look at these things with beta-hydroxybutyrate, um, whether it's, um, it's anti-aging, um, uh, it's also um, anti-cancer prevention, um, and it's also really beneficial for the bowel. So this becomes interesting because um, you're probably aware that my husband, being a gastroenterologist, has got a PhD in colorectal cancer prevention. Mm -hmm. And we were at a symposium for ketogenic diets and we were doing a lot of study into that. And um, we had the benefit of um, asking Dr. Stephen Finney, who's an eminent um, scientist in his field in this particular area. And my husband went up to him and said, you know, well, what do you think about the microbiome in the bowel? And what do you think about, you know, fiber and all this sort of stuff and, and its role in, um, you know, uh, cancer prevention? Mm -hmm. Um, and his response after my husband sort of gave this very long-winded <laughs> explanation about his PhD, well, he said to him, well, well, Jonathan, you know, when we're talking about fibre and feeding the microbiome, effectively what these, you know, microbiomes need is short-chain fatty acids. Okay. Yep. If you remember the very beginning of when you and I started talking, I talked about beta-hydroxybutyrate yep. being a short-chain fatty acid. Yes. So... I guess it comes down to, well, do we need to look at fiber and, and feeding the microbiome? Or is it more important that we have that whole short-chain fatty acid surging through our body and giving the same effect? But can't we have both? But why would you need it? If you've got yeah. beta-hydroxybutyrate surging through your body, it is one of the most powerful short-chain fatty acids. And, that, and effectively, that's what it is. So your short-chain fatty acids are beta-hydroxybutyrate. But the... Um that feeds the microbiome, yeah. we yeah. know that. Yeah. But what about the other role of dietary fiber where it kind yeah. of, um, I guess, for Bul bulking out the stool yeah, and, and all that sort of stuff? Sweeping out the yeah. system, kind of. 
Yeah, so mm. that's 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 a really good question. So recently, I was asked about that as well. Um, and certainly, you know, a ketogenic diet does not have to be a low fiber diet. Okay. Um, so, and that, that's often a bit of a myth. You know, people yeah. assume that because you know eighty percent of that diet is high healthy fats, that we don't um, take in much dietary fiber. Yeah, that's far I from certainly the thought truth. that. Hence my yeah, question. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so no, we would actually. I mean, someone like me, um, and, and definitely my patients would have in the order of somewhere between you know four to five cups of vegetable a day. Right. Easily, easily. Okay, so that would contain probably more fiber than the average person would eat. Well, not only that, but we actually did a bit of a trial, my husband and I, and we had a look at this because oh, I of love, him being... I love that. <laughs> <Personal> experiments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, being a gastroenterologist and having to get up and chat to the other gastroenterologists, yeah. they were ready to, you know, go for him. Um, but, you know, we have such, I mean, nuts and seeds are also a huge yeah. part of our diet. Um, and, you know, you and I both know that there's lots of fiber in that as well. Yes. So, so by the time we'd actually taken a standard Australian diet and what we thought was eating, which was enough fiber, we were probably just under, it was actually quite pretty hard to hit. By the time we compared our ketogenic diet with all the vegetables and, um, you know, the berries and the nuts and the seeds that we eat, in actual fact, we were actually having more dietary fiber in that than we were on our standard Australian diet. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I think, um, it, most of what you describe sounds really healthy where I'm having a bit of trouble getting my head around is <laughs> is the fat content yeah, because sure. I don't feel great when I eat fat. Yeah. Is that something people struggle with? Is it a side effect Do people get over it? What how do how do you manage that side of it? Yeah, I mean initially people sometimes people can struggle with it and mm. what I'd say to them if you know if you don't want to have butter or if you don't want to have you know, double thick cream, or if you don't want to have, I know, looking at me like that's really terrible, isn't it? <laughs> um, if you don't want to use those things, then, you know, you're quite okay to use extra virgin olive oil or olive yep. oil or coconut oil with your cooking or, you know, a beautiful avocado or macadamia yeah. oil. You know, that's that's fine. And certainly, you know, the more, the smaller you are, the less of that you would consume. Yes. Um, but m- most people don't usually complain. Okay. Most people. I guess it probably tastes pretty good. It I mean, tastes pretty you good. Know, fats fats um, <laughs> hold a lot of taste and flavour. <laughs> yeah. And what about getting the ratios right? Because as mm-hmm. we said before, if you, if someone eats a banana, it, it you know it can upset the process. So mm-hmm. how does someone know, am I eating the right amount of fat yeah. compared to carbohydrates, yeah. et cetera? That's a really great question. So, so I actually give um, people information about free apps and I actually get right. them to follow an app. Um, And I talk them through it and I teach them Um, because, yeah, a a well-formulated ketogenic diet is about 80 percent healthy fats. Yeah, it sounds a lot. But I guess in terms of the actual quantity, because it's um, so nutrient dense, it's Mm -hmm. not as much as it sounds. Exactly. If that makes sense. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, You know, 5 percent of it is carbohydrate and then the remainder of it is a moderate amount of protein. Um, There's a bit of a myth that people seem to think it's a high protein diet, but it's actually not. No, I did read that. Mm. Um, The paleo diet's more of a high protein approach. It is high. It It is Mm. a high protein diet and it's also a high carbohydrate diet. Yeah. And I was wondering, because I know you love research, has there been any long-term studies on the effects of the keto diet? Absolutely have. Yeah. Um, certainly, um, if you're looking into that, would be Dr. Stephen, uh, Dr. Steve Finney and also Dr. Dr. Jeff Volak. Okay. Um, and perhaps we could chat about that yeah. at or another I could, time. Or I can put some links in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've got quite a bit of that here, so we can go through that okay. later on. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. The other thing I was interested in, and I don't know how we sort of 
find common ground on this one, but um, what if someone doesn't want to eat animal products because they're a Buddhist or, um, you know, they just don't want to eat animals for any reason? They might be vegan or or vegetarian or something. Can someone like that follow a ketogenic diet or is it impossible? (laughs) No, it wouldn't be. So um, a well-formulated ketogenic diet for a vegetarian, absolutely. That would be quite easy to do. Right. Oh, that's, yeah, Um, I didn't, I didn't think that could potentially be possible but that's probably more of an issue with the paleo because that's more meat based Um, or could you be a vegetarian paleo i know definitely there are vegetarian Mm. paleos out there um i mean i think i think in terms of what you're cooking and preparing it becomes slightly more selective Mm. um i would i would say though it would probably be more difficult doing vegan i think you'd be quite it'd be quite tricky it's already restrictive Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i I won't get into that topic but yeah Yeah. another time we will talk about what i think about that (laughs) (laughs) stay tuned yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah, one of the one of the things that does come up a little bit is, um, you know, with all this eating of meat, um, and I, I have no doubt you're going to ask me a question about meat in a minute. Um, you know, the effects on the environment. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the reasons that I personally don't eat a lot of meat. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think that's my little contribution to the world, small yeah. as it might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what do you say about that? Yeah, well, that's that's been quite fascinating because I mean I've shared similar thoughts on that in the past myself, um, and I guess I did a bit more research on it, and I think what we've got is if if we have a look at how animals are now fed and how they're well they're contained before they are slaughtered and then the meat comes into the supermarkets, predominantly these animals are grain fed. Yeah, um, no good. No good. No good. Um, and, you know, I will often recommend to my patients to get grass-fed um, animals. Um, I think it's important to know um, for the public out there that when we allow livestock to, to be grass-fed, it actually helps with the condition of soil. Because what's happening is those ruminants are basically just eating the grass um, right down to the root but they don't pull the entire grass from out of the, the soil. And so we get soil stabilization. We mm-hmm. actually get better soils. So, I mean, I'm very much an advocate to, for seeing farmers doing grass-fed uh, livestock. Oh, I mean, it's what cows eat. Yeah. They don't eat grains. Well, they they're don't not eat supposed grains. They to shouldn't, no. And so I think, I think the other thing I was going to mention, whether it's, whether it's your cat or your dog or humans, when we have carbohydrate and too much carbohydrate, particularly in a person that's got insulin resistance, is they produce an enormous amount of insulin in response to that carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Now, for you who's insulin sensitive, not so much. For someone like me, I would produce a huge amount of insulin. The thing that's important to understand about the hormone insulin is when we produce too much of that, we inhibit lipolysis, which means we stop the breakdown of our fat. We can't access it. We can't break it down. So if we come back to those women that came to me in my clinic saying, you know, why can't I lose this central body fat? What's going on here? I'm eating less and less and I'm killing myself in the gym. It's because they're probably insulin resistant, pumping out too much insulin in response to the carbohydrate amount that they're having. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, they can't access their own body fat stores to break it down. So what a well-formulated ketogenic diet does, it allows you access to that body fat to break it down. 
by getting you to drop your carbohydrate. And if you drop your carbohydrate load, then effectively you're not having anywhere near the sort of insulin response that you need. And so that's the same whether it's humans or animals. It's the same. So if we come back to, you know... um, uh, grass-fed animals and we look at them I mean the marbling of fat that happens in an animal that has grass-fed as opposed to grain is completely different yeah the other thing I think too is about grain-fed animals is that they're often given a lot of antibiotics yeah because you know they're not designed to eat grain so they get sick yes and you know that that has so many implications for um, drug resistance and all sorts of things so I think it's I mean, the real problem is probably in the US with those massive factory farms. I don't know if you've seen any documentaries about those, but they're they're pretty frightful. Um, There's some pretty cool documentaries out there at the moment. Um, One that I would encourage people to go and have a look at, um, just if you're trying to get your head around this and, and, you know, where's this going? If There's a documentary called The Magic Pill. Yes, I know it's been put out by Pete Evans, but, I mean, you know, Pete Evans, you know, he's he's an interesting character. but there's something about Pete Evans which makes him a disruptor. There's a reason why he keeps coming back time and time and again. If you put aside it being Pete Evans and actually have a look at the documentary, and I, particularly in Australia, I want people to focus on what's happened to the Aborigines. Have a look at that. And it's a bit of a game changer. And also listen to what Professor Tim Noakes has to say. And I think once people have a look at that that's Mm -hmm. a bit of a game changer they start to question well hang on a minute what's actually happened here okay i haven't um seen the what the what's it called the magic the magic pill the only time i've seen pete evans is when he's been scoffing things (laughs) my my kitchen kitchen rules rules. (laughs) (laughs) well i do laugh at that because i know he's paleo so i think oh okay (laughs) there weren't any legumes in that (laughs) yeah yeah um uh, there's so many things. I think I think we have to have another session because I'd like to talk about athletes. Yeah, I'd love to talk about athletes. But I think that sort of merits its own session, if that's okay with it, you. It does. I mean, look, I, I would love to talk about that because I have a, um, a son who is in the first eight um, at school and he's a rower mm-hmm. and he is, he is the only low-carb athlete in that boat. Oh, is that interesting? Yeah. It is interesting and he, yeah. he's doing very well. So I, I would love to talk about that. Yeah, and I um, – come from I do quite a lot of training myself so I I tend to go down the whole carb route so I think we could have a pretty fascinating discussion because there there is a lot of research into this area at the moment and there are athletes who follow a keto diet but conversely there are athletes who follow a vegan diet so there's you know there's a huge range so it's pretty interesting so do you remember the person who basically was the father of carb loading do you know who that was no that was Professor Tim Noakes. Oh, really? Yeah. He um, wrote The Law of Running. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Which for anybody who's a runner or a marathon athlete, they will know, you know, that. Um, so he's completely done a, a complete 180. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I must say I tried carb loading once and I, I felt so um, bloated and miserable that it was it was a failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was yeah. becoming a bit old-fashioned yeah. these days to Well, do Tim that. Crow said the same thing because I asked him about Tim it. Crow, yeah. He said look, he just eats his normal diet before a race and he's a pretty handy marathon runner. Yeah, um, yeah. He's probably insulin sensitive and in nutritional ketosis, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, I think what we might do is wrap it up for today 
Um, but I think we're going to have to come back, Rochelle. There's just there's too many questions still floating around. Yeah, there's around. a lot, and yeah. I'd love to. There's so much okay. I'm happy to share and Great. to chat to you know your your listeners about, and you know side effects of keto diets and all that sort of stuff. We can get back into that. So yeah. So um, if someone wants to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? So probably the best way, to, there's a couple of ways. So if you wanted to um, chat with me about your own personal experience, you can give um, my rooms a call. Mm-hmm. So um, that's um, Unley Park Specialist Centre, which is 386 Unley Road, Unley I'll put Park. put that in the show notes. Yep. Um, and the phone number is 8373 Um Or you can also get some really good information from me from my Instagram account. So oh, that's Rochelle Martin 69 um, you can see stuff there. Um, but that's probably the two ways you can okay. get a hold of me. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Rochelle Martin, nutritionist who specializes in low carb and keto diets. My mind is a buzz. I have so many more questions to ask. There will definitely be another episode with Rochelle where we dive more deeply into some of the issues we only touched on today. Nutrition is a relatively new science and therefore I think it's important to keep an open mind and be alert to new scientific evidence. A constant refrain of mine is that there is no one right diet for everyone. Humans could not have thrived in so many diverse and sometimes extreme environments if that were the case. However, it does seem that there are certain diets that are more favourable in given conditions. For example, the complete exclusion of gluten in the case of celiac disease. Another example is the use of ketogenic diets Um, to help control seizures in some people with epilepsy, specifically children with seizures that do not respond to medication. Scientists are not 100% sure of the mechanism responsible for that, but it is a really interesting area of ongoing research. Anyway, I'll keep reading and researching in order to provide current and credible evidence to you. Thank you for listening today. You can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. Please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon to help ensure that we continue to provide you with excellent guests, please visit the Contribute page on my website. Also and finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility of the podcast and will help me source some excellent guests. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.